An Instagram post gets an unexpected boost. A TikTok catches in the algorithm. Sometimes that's all it takes to launch someone into internet fame. But then what? This Blew Up is a new podcast documentary that reveals how social media stardom is made. It's a different kind of fame that's not always as glamorous as it looks. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Alyssa Bereznak. You can listen to This Blew Up on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. It is Tuesday, December 27th. Wow, Craig, fancy music. <laughs> it's a special time of year. It it's is. the most exclusive event in podcasting. I'm, I'm glad I wore my tuxedo. Um, it's been quite a year here at the town, or eight months for us. We launched in March, right before the craziest Oscars maybe ever. And after that, it was one thing after another all year. The great Netflix correction. Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav started killing things like CNN Plus and random shows like a gunslinger. The Disney political circus. And then the Bob on Bob violence in the C-suite. The streamers started stealing football and other sports. And the theatrical movie business got so bad that the number two theater chain went bankrupt. And the biggest chain bought a gold and silver mine to, I guess, diversify. We've been lucky enough to make it into some of the best podcasts of the year lists like Vulture and Esquire and Podcast Review. And the Vulture write-up from Nick Qua was my favorite. The Town was the perfect podcast for the year Hollywood went crazy. I definitely agree. That's what today's episode's about. It's the Townies, our year-end award show. We've got a bunch of year-end stuff in my Puck newsletter as well, including Villain of the Year and Hero of the Year. You can go there if you're interested in reading about that. But now... We've got the townies, which are not your typical awards. We know who won Best Picture. We know whose stock is up and down this year. We know who got the big deals. These are our awards based on our own observations and our own interpretation of the craziest year, perhaps in Hollywood history. So with apologies to the Dundies, my favorite episode of The Office, I've got my co-star Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg back on the show. And today, the town awards, the townies. We are recording this one in two parts, but in one sitting, so I'm going to save my call sheet till the end of the second episode, but it's a good one. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw. Lucas, do you have your tuxedo on? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I just got a fresh one for Christmas, so I'm good to go. Nice. Got my... Fancy shoes, got my tuxedo. Are you a bow tie guy or a a, 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 a normal tie guy? I go back and forth. I, I like to mix it up. Um, you will not, this is not for this episode, but at one point in my life, I had a stylist that was paid to make me look good. And because of that, I have a closet full of very nice clothes that I rarely wear, but I can break them out for events like this. Was this a Hollywood reporter thing? Yes, that was back in the days when magazines had budgets for people like Silas. Uh, and obviously, I was a 
a, a case that needed one. So uh, I have nice clothes that I don't wear that often, except for today on the Town Awards, aka the Townies. We are going through our picks for the best, worst, and weirdest of the year. Now, this is not normal categories. These are our own categories. So don't tweet at us like, you missed this. This movie did really well. Great. Happy for that movie. That's not this show. Let's just jump right into it. And I think our first category, our first award of the night is most baffling success. Would you like to start? Mine for this is Elvis. Wow. Okay. A two and a half hour biopic about a musician who'd been dead for almost 50 years. I get it. He was the king of rock and roll. Uh, but you have somebody nobody's ever heard of playing Elvis. You have Tom Hanks with a terrible accent, Boz Lerman, whose track record is kind of spotty. And I also just thought that the movie was a, a, a total mess. Um, I get that it, I, I, you know, I get that I'm clearly wrong. It seemed like it got off to a slow start and just picked up momentum. But it turned into a, kind of one of the real sleeper successes of summer. And I, I will admit I did not see it coming and I don't totally get it. I will agree with you. I selected Elvis as my potential bomb on the pod we did at the beginning of summer, and I was proven wrong. So they get the last laugh. 286 million worldwide. Um, you know, Baz Luhrmann has done this before with movies that people thought were going to fail, and they end up not failing. So the question is, with that movie, was it him? Did people Is he a brand that people say, okay, I'll give him a chance? Or is there just this pent-up demand for an Elvis Presley authorized biopic that we did not see coming. Yeah, I, I, there's some, it's the type of movie that Hollywood wants and needs more of, right? Yeah, it's in the running. It's probably going to get a Best Picture nom. Yeah, it's like a mid-budget adult drama. with a, it, it turned this guy, Austin Butler, into a total star. I was watching a movie recently that he was in where he was like a bit part in it. Oh, he was in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He has like he's right. in that movie for like five seconds. I think that's how he got cast. Is that they liked him out of that? But I could be wrong. I don't know. I I just I I am happy for them. I hope they get a best picture nomination. I wonder. I would love to see the demo breakdowns on this movie. Whether it was old people who saw the trailer during Top Gun and then said, "Oh, I'd like that," and showed up, or whether they succeeded in getting millennials and younger people to care about this. I, based purely on anecdotal experience, they got a lot of women my age who wanted to go see it. Right. And that's just the music and the kind of fanfare and style and everything associated with it. Okay, who you got? Mine is Wednesday. My baffling success is Wednesday. Jenna Ortega slander. I'm sorry, but this is a, what, 60-year-old piece of intellectual property, the Adams family, that was, had sort of been driven into the ground with the uh, decreasing returns of the movies. Uh, this is also a show run by Goff and Millar, whose biggest hit is probably Smallville on the CW, their kind of career studio people. This is <laughs> directed by Tim Burton, whose last two movies were Dumbo and Miss Peregrine's School for Peculiar Children. He's very cold in directing for, for film. And he did TV, and it turns into the third most watched TV show on Netflix in its history. Do not understand this one. I, I, I can't pretend like I saw it coming. It's certainly not at that scale. I will say there's something about, you know, I feel like shows that pop on Netflix reflect more of the sort of 
internet behavior than traditional TV behavior, where like when they blow, they get so big so quickly. And that show went from like me, nobody I knew was talking about it to everyone I knew was talking about it in the manner of seven to 10 days. And it's very memeable. It was all over TikTok and there's the dance and- And you know. she's great. And there's there's some really good, there's just some really good members of the cast, but I'm with you. I I did not expect it to become- you know that that show ended up probably being more popular than uh, that basically anything released this year. Other than I, I did it come in behind Dahmer? Is Dahmer number two on the? Uh, I don't know. We'd have to check. But one thing I would say is that do you do you think this would have been a huge hit on any other platform? I maybe modest hits. I think because of I think she has a real following, and there yeah. are people who would show up for Adam's family, but it's certainly not that big. But you could say that about everything. I mean, there's nothing that is a huge hit on Netflix that would be quite as big a hit on anything else because Netflix is just that much bigger than everything else. Right. Jenna Ortega, candidate, long shot candidate for who won the year. Uh, Also, my runner up for this category was Everything Everywhere All at Once, did 100 million worldwide, completely out of nowhere, would not have expected a movie like this to do those kinds of numbers. The Daniels also a candidate for who won the year, but uh, I'm, I'm their runner up. Wednesday was more surprising to, to me. All right, let's move on. Our second category is, uh, is the publicist fail of the year award. Many, many candidates for this one. Um, I'm going to go with Olivia Wilde because the hoopla surrounding her movie, Don't Worry Darling, and the narrative that emerged at the Venice Film Festival where she, it all started with an interview Olivia Wilde herself did in which she basically trashed her co- her stars of her movie, um, claimed that Shia LaBeouf was fired. We don't have to get into all the details, but it was very clear that all was not well on that set and Florence Pugh was upset with her and it just kept getting worse. and. You think in this day and age that a competent PR team can successfully coach someone to not blow up their own movie like this. Um, So then the question is, did she do it on purpose? Is this all an attempt to create a media phenomenon around this movie, which she hoped would get people interested in? Turned out people were not interested in seeing the movie. They were only interested in following the did Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine? That is a question that we mysteriously talked about for two weeks for reasons I'm still not quite sure. But I got to say, this movie was hurt by this controversy. Olivia Wilde's reputation... Is there any evidence of that? As a filmmaker, Olivia Wilde was damaged by this. I think people in Hollywood uh, looked at this and be like, what? What is she doing here? And the stuff that came out about her was not great. It, overall, not a good narrative. So this is going to... I'm going to try to respond with... or. Without stepping on, because she's my answer for a, a later award that we have. Okay, okay. I will say that I uh, I don't know that the I I I agree that the publicity tour around the movie was not handled well because they really opened themselves up to a lot of criticism, a lot of what I would consider sexism, and she she just didn't she didn't need to she really wanted to be the face of that movie, sure. and she could have allowed. Florence Pugh and other people involved in that movie to handle the promotion, especially since she was dating one of her co-stars, especially because she's had this public divorce with Jason Sudeikis that has played out in ugly fashion. Um, 
But I don't think that it really did any. I think that movie was probably going to miss either way because it wasn't a great movie, and it you know it just it that I don't I don't blame the performance of the movie on the publicity tour, and I also feel like there was some very unfair treatment in the media, um, and why we spend so much time talking about Olivia Wilde and so little time talking about Jason Sudeikis, and say the fact that he sent her uh, you know, legal papers on stage at an event and how screwed up that is. It just confuses me. That is very screwed up. And I agree there was a lot of sexism at work in a lot of the, the headlines around this. Um, unclear still if Sudeikis knew that his, uh, his service agent was going to barge into the CinemaCon conference and serve her on stage when she was debuting the trailer for her movie. But uh, not a great scene. Certainly not a good look. Question for you. Who got the worst celebrity press of the year? I have my candidates. Olivia Wilde, Will Smith, Ezra Miller, Amber Heard, or Kanye West? Probably Will Smith. I mean, look, Kanye is in a category to himself. And so I just put that aside. I think Will Smith did the most damage to himself because he had one reputation that was basically perfect. I mean, there were some weird things around him, sure, but you know, he he was just be- universally beloved, I would say, and and really hurt himself uh, with the slap. I, I agree with that. It's interesting. I asked a couple of top publicists this question, and one of them gave me an interesting answer, claiming it was Olivia. And the answer was basically, this, this I'm paraphrasing here, Kanye and Ezra are mentally ill and need help. Amber's situation feels closer to a Kanye situation where it's just incredibly complicated. Um, it seems obvious to say will, but Olivia feels like it was the worst handled. She kind of flailed throughout the mess, and her only strategy was to basically pretend it didn't happen. Then the movie tanked and wasn't good, so she's very damaged here. And yeah, Will Smith, I think, did the most damage to himself, and we can talk about whether emancipation would have opened or been embraced by critics had this controversy not happened. I happen to believe that it would have gotten better reviews and perhaps put him into the awards conversation if the slap didn't happen. Uh, but we can debate that. Am I am I giving you a my publicist fail of the year? Are we moving on? Please, please. Uh, mine is much smaller. We, I don't know that we need to to dwell on it too much. But I mine is for James Corden's publicist uh, <laughs> because he gets called out by the owner of this restaurant in New York uh, for being Keith McNally. Keith McNally, the restaurant yeah. I think it was Balthazar for mm. being just sort of a, a terrible customer and being rude to the service and all of this. And he had a previously scheduled interview at the New York Times. Between him getting called out and that interview, he had done some back-channeling with Keith McNally to try to kind of massage the egos and make everything copacetic. He did, and then he opens his mouth and says some things that piss off Keith McNally again in the interview. There's really no reason that he needed to do that interview. He very easily could have said, let's do this another time. Uh, I think it was with Dave Itzkoff. I'm sure he would have been happy to do it in a couple of months. Instead, the story becomes all about that. No, he's he got a huge scoop on this. He got a great story out of it. I, I think, look, J- James Corden, in a little bit like Will Smith, had a very good public reputation. And this is one of those little incidents that I think punctured that and made people realize that maybe the guy behind the scenes is not all that you believe. Right. And that is ultimately the job of the publicist, is to keep the actual celebrity persona out of the media and create the fictional celebrity persona that may or may not match sometimes with the actual, but it really doesn't matter from the publicist's perspective. It's all about what the perception is. 
This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, let's move on. You've promised me that I'm going to like this next one, so I have high hopes. The category is the sneaky deal of the year. And my winner is not all that sneaky, but the impact of it ended up being very sneaky and very impactful. So I'm going to go with Monday Night Football signing Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. That is a good one. Because, you know, it seems obvious they would go after the number one guys on Fox to, you know, they just get, they just re-up their Monday Night Football deal at ESPN and they want to make a splash and make the NFL happy. They went with them. They paid them reportedly around 18 million a year, big deal. But the repercussions of that was the domino effect that lasted all summer. Basically then Amazon got Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet to go over there for their big debut. Mike Tirico, who had been identified as the Al Michaels replacement before he takes over Sunday night football. I mean, this, the domino effect here went all the way to baseball where Joe Davis, who's the Dodgers announcer was named the voice of the world series on Fox because it used to be Joe Buck, but he left for ESPN. So we've got a bunch of new announcers doing a bunch of new things because of that Monday night football deal. Yeah, no notes. I think it's a good pick. I didn't really, th- <laughs> I didn't really think about it. Um, I don't, I, I'd be curious to look, I haven't seen the ratings night by night, like how Monday night football ratings are doing relative to the previous years. Cause the problem that ESPN had, and one of the reasons that they went out and did it was that the NFL always stuck them with the shittiest games. Mm-hmm. And 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 I don't think it was because they had an announcer crew that the that the NFL didn't like, but them going and getting the guy, two of the the most liked announcers sh- should help them get better games, which in sh- in turn should boost ratings. It felt like Thursday night football continues to get sort of the crappiest games, um, which which is one of the reasons why the ratings on Amazon have been down relative to to previous years. Well, they gave them a couple decent games at the beginning. I feel like to kind of launch it, and then it's been also there's been a lot of shitty football games this year. I mean, there's a lot of bad teams and a lot of bad football, so it's not like there you know there have been these all these amazing games elsewhere. Well, I'm just amazed that the the Packers are actually actually have a playoff chance now. <laughs> All right, we don't need to discuss football or my fantasy team. Unfortunately, I'm out of my fantasy league. But let's move on. What is your I'm, pick? What's I'm your leaving. Pick? I'm leaving Hollywood a little bit with this one. Okay, uh, it doesn't have the same ramifications. It's more just something that I don't think got a lot of attention that I think people should be paying attention to, 
which was all the money that a YouTube star named Mr. Beast raised. Oh, yeah. What was that? He raised about $150 million. So Mr. Beast is the biggest star on YouTube. Um, and he is building a... Uh, he's got. He's already got like a, a burger business. He's building an at-home meals thing called Feastables, which he's going to sell via Walmart and others. We've seen a lot of internet celebrities try to build their own businesses. Mostly, they they're like big for a little bit and then go away. But Mr. Beast is a star of another magnitude, and he has ambitions that I think are are as big, if not bigger, than anyone who's come before him. Um, Didn't Elon say he'd be a good CEO of Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so Mr. Beast idolizes Elon, just so to be uh, clear. That's probably not on his resume right now. Uh, probably not. But uh, I remember the one, one of the times I've interviewed him, he had a, a big photo of Steve Jobs behind him. I think Steve Jobs and Elon are sort of his two idols. And that's because he wants to be a business guy. And so I think the people who give him money, I'll be very curious whether he can actually build a massive business using the 200 million plus people who follow him on the internet. Right. All right, that's a good one. So I have a little side award here, not a main award. Maybe this will be like the the ponytail Emmys, the creative arts Emmys where they give them out on a different night. Um, I'm going to do worst deal of the year. And that's got to be Candle Media buying into Will Smith's Westbrook Ouch. in January, months before the slap rendered that company radioactive. Candle Media is the big Tom Staggs and Kevin Mayer outfit that's buying up a bunch of media companies with Blackstone's money. They did a deal to buy a big stake in Will Smith's production company. I thought, I thought it was like 10%. Uh, I don't know if that was ever revealed. I thought it was more than that. But um, regardless, it, more than 0% is a bad deal to do in January. Now, obviously, they didn't know that Will Smith was going to torch his career uh, four months later or three months later. So it's it's I'm not blaming them. But uh, I don't think Westbrook has come back from that yet. I, they, they certainly haven't. Um, they were in the early stages of really ramping up what they were doing, film, TV. Um, and they, were, they raised all that money to do so. Um, also, I have a sneaky busted deal of the year, because which also happened in January. Remember this? Where Imagine Entertainment, the Brian Grazer and Ron Howard company that's been around forever... There was a flurry of media coverage that they were about to sell a majority stake in Imagine to this London private equity firm, Centricus, that was going to value the company at like $600 million or $700 million. Um, that deal ended up not happening. Shocker. Imagine has been trying to sell itself for like three years. And every time it seems like they're about to have a can close a deal, they don't do it. So that's one of those. Because they cashed out like three or four times already. And these guys, Brian Grazer and Ron Howard are like 70 years old. I, I've, I've never understood the desire to, to buy Imagine at this point. You know, dumb money. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next category, the sneaky great hire of the year. And I have one. I'll go first on this one. This is um, something that maybe didn't get a ton of headlines, but earlier this year, Roku Damn made it. an interesting hire. <laughs> Roku hired Charlie Collier, who was the head of the Fox network and previously ran AMC during its heyday of Mad Men, Breaking Bad, Walking Dead. 
And to me, it's interesting because Roku obviously has had its problems. Its stock is way down. People think it's an acquisition target because it has a great product in the Roku uh, connectivity device and interface, but it's certainly not anything that Amazon can't do or the other tech companies. So the stock has really been punished. But this indicates that Roku is serious to me about original content. And if they can figure that out, that would be a differentiator for a company like Roku. If they started putting good shows on there, people might be incentivized to stay with Roku when they might just go with an Amazon Fire Stick or Apple TV or whatever in the future. So I think that's a sneaky good hire. Charlie was my pick as well. Um, mostly because I felt like it really flew under the radar. He was someone who had a big profile at AMC, then went to Fox, where he didn't really have a job because the Murdochs weren't that interested in entertainment programming. Well, he was greenlighting shows. I mean, he, he, someone did put those shows on the air. The only pause for me, because I do think he is a, a guy with good taste and a lot of relationships, is I'm not sure how committed Roku really is to original programming. I can't decide if they're just dabbling now and are going to go in big. The most the reputation is for being a company that doesn't want to spend a lot of money. Um, and I still don't think that most people know what the Roku channel is because just based again, this one is more anecdotal than anything, but I, I know that they'll say it's like their fourth or fifth most popular channel. Uh, I'd love to see the numbers on like how many people actually watched the Weird Al movie with with Daniel Radcliffe. Um, but I, I I agree with you. He's a good pick. Listen, it got me to find the app on my interface and to open it. Two very quick runners up because I agree that Charlie mm -hmm. is sort of the obvious choice. Uh, one is Warner Music hiring Robert Kinsel as its CEO. Guy leaving YouTube with a huge reputation gets a big job. They get someone. They wanted someone with a tech background. They wanted someone. He was he was formerly at YouTube. Yeah. Uh, and the other, and I don't think you're going to like this one, but I did think it was kind of sneaky. Was the two people that Netflix hired to run their advertising business because they had built a really strong ad business at Snap. And one of them, Peter Naylor, was the guy who built Hulu's initial advertising business. Yeah, that's business. fine. Why wouldn't I like that? I mean, listen, you're Netflix. You're building an ad business. Snap has a good ad business. Yeah. So those are my two runners up. I've got a runner up. I think James Gunn, the filmmaker going to DC to run DC with Peter Safran, is a sneaky great hire of the year. Just because this is a guy who was canceled and fired off of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 at Disney for his pretty atrocious tweets um, like six, seven years ago. And now not only has he been totally rehabbed from that, but he's running a studio division. Pretty amazing. Yeah. All right, let's move on. The Jeff Bukas Albanian Army Award for the quote, I'll probably regret. Jeff Bukas, obviously, famously compared Netflix to the Albanian Army in 2010. And why should HBO be afraid of them? Came to regret that quote. And my candidate for that award this year is a quote from Bob Iger, who did a interview with Kara Swisher in January. This is the former then CEO of Disney, months before he then became the current CEO of Disney. And he was talking about the strategy to keep all the Disney content on Disney Plus rather than sell it off to companies like Netflix and how he came to that decision. And he said, this is his quote, I woke up one day and thought we are basically selling nuclear weapons technology to a third world country, and now they are using it against us. Now, the problem with that quote is that Bob Iger is inheriting a Walt Disney company that is very different than the one he left as CEO three years ago. And I think what's on the table right now is selling off 
shows or at least licensing libraries or windowing the big Disney movies to put them in a place to raise money and lessen the losses in streaming while still having that premium new fresh content on the sites to keep churn low. And he may come to regret that quote because at some point he might start selling that nuclear weapon technology to other other places, maybe not Netflix, but but that's a backwards-looking quote, and I think his strategy at the time was very sound. Sure, totally get it, totally get it. But he implied in January that that was the strategy right now, and it was a smart one to hoard all the technology, not sell it to other third-world countries, in his words. And that's not going to be the strategy. It's certainly not the strategy of some of his competitors, like Warner Brothers Discovery. So... I think he's going to make an about face on that. Yeah. Give me yours. I, you know, I had one where I was going to stay in the family and basically just like do a catch all for a lot of the things that, that, uh, Zaslav has said about how streaming doesn't matter. But I, I think I have, uh, I, I think I have a different one. Okay. Uh, which is I'm trying to find a good FTX commercial. And oh, see what celebrity stumped one. for FDX. The problem is, is I think the Larry David commercial was skeptical. Yeah, but that was the whole point. He was skeptical of, of crypto. And the tagline was something like, don't be like Larry. I don't know. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Or there, it appears there was a Tom Brady FTX commercial. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gotten a lot of shit for that. The question on Brady is whether Brady was doing more than that. Whether he took his comp in crypto or whether he was getting shares of the company. Also, everybody makes jokes about the Matt Damon one. I feel like that, that one was, was... That's the obvious one, but well, I forget. He was... But he was... Which one? He Was he doing Crypto.com? Yes. Fortune favors the brave. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, maybe... Uh, maybe let's... I'll, I'll go with Matt Damon, just because it was such a notable commercial. All right. That's, that's fair. All right. Let's move on. The Gretchen Mall Hollywood Has Decided I'm a Star Award. This is for the actor who keeps getting all the roles, even though... The public has not yet determined whether this person is a star. You want to start? I'm preemptively doing someone because I you I already know, unfortunately, in this case that who yours is, and we agree. So I came mm -hmm. up with a different one. All right, let me give mine first. Then, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Jonathan Majors, <sighs> who yeah. is a very talented actor. Um, has done great work. I first saw him in Lovecraft Country on HBO. But this guy is everywhere. He's got Creed three. He's the you know the op opponent for Michael B. Jordan. He's Kang in Ant Man three, which is setting up a bunch of future Marvel movies. This guy's name is in the conversation for every big role. He's kind of become Hollywood's hope for a new franchise action star. And you know, I don't think anyone knows who he is yet, which doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. But Hollywood's putting a lot of eggs in the Jonathan Majors basket. I, I saw four commercials featuring him, I think, or three before I saw Wakanda Forever. And you, you mentioned a few of them, but it was it was insane how many commercials I saw for him. I mean, look, he 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 looks great. I think he's very talented. Uh, but yeah, I have no idea if people are gonna respond to him as a as a star yet. Uh, you know, he was I, I don't think his that HBO show was a huge hit. It got good reviews. Lovecraft Country was the one he was yep, in. Yep, yep. He was very good in it though. All right, who's your person? Mine's not an actor. Oh, so I'm going with the musician who I quite like. If it's Bad Bunny, I'm turning this off. It's her. Oh, okay. 
So her is a really talented singer, songwriter, guitar player, but I'm bringing her up because she has already won three quarters, I believe, of an EGOT. She performs or appears at basically every single major Hollywood award show and is trotted out like it's it's Hollywood's effort to connect with the younger generation, they think. It's like, let's take this 20-something musician and show that we're cool. Here's the problem. She's the, So basically, she's the Alicia Keys of this moment? Yes, but Alicia Keys at least had, at the moment, I, if I believe, a smash hit. Her has had zero songs in the Billboard Top 25. She has not had a huge tour, and her monthly listenership or audience on Spotify is smaller than Weezer's. And so, <laughs> so I just, again, I love her. So I've she's seen working her perform. It. What's wrong with that? She wants to be a star. She's, I mean, she performed on the Oscars. Remember she had that song in the, uh, the Judas and the Black Messiah movie? So she yeah, ended up she's performing great. on the, the train station Oscars. Hollywood could pick anyone to be at these award shows, and they always pick her. Okay. Uh, that seems very personal, that you're, you're anti-her. I'm not. You're not. Okay. All right. All right. It's pretty clear we are going to need a two-part episode for these awards. I, so we're going to save the rest for part two. The, one I will, the only award I will give, and I'm sure you do not have a, a person for this category, is the Harrison Ford, William Shatner, Shitting on Your Own Franchise Award. And that's got to go to Sylvester Stallone this year. The guy has waged war against Creed Three, which he is currently not in because of circumstances where he believes he has been screwed out of profits from the movie uh, by its producer, Erwin Winkler. Uh, he then went and has been doing a bunch of interviews for Tulsa King, where he then said, it is a regretful situation because I know what it could have been. Then he said about the movie, it was, quote, taken in a direction that is quite different than where I would have taken it. And this is a big deal for this movie. If I'm Michael B. Jordan, who directed Creed Three as well as stars in it, I gotta be pissed at Stallone. The guy's like sabotaging his big movie. I I will admit I didn't know that this was a thing. I haven't. Oh, seen it'll be any. a thing. Trust me. When this movie comes <laughs> out, that there will be there will be press coverage of this, and maybe Stallone will be on his best behavior. He's got a hit now with Tulsa King, but the fact that the originator and star of the Rocky franchise has turned against the Creed sequel is a big deal. I forgot that there was a Creed 2. Oh, it's pretty good. But this one's directed by Michael B. Jordan, so he's got a lot on the line here. All right, that wraps up part one of The Townies. Lucas can go watch Creed 2 while we break, and we'll be back tomorrow with more of that. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.